bum bum bottom 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 bum
uh, obscure quote from Princess Bride, and I was like, no, I I don't know that. Princess <laughs> I was Bride just visualizing him start the ceremony. Marriage. Yeah, you would think <laughs> that would be the quote he would use. He did not use that quote, which is probably for the best because I feel like that would have been uh, very cringy. But I uh, I like. That's one example. The Godfather, my wife and I just watched those. And Brad has been on. He's introduced me to amazing films like Dirty Harry and Big Trouble in Little China and Demon Knight. I'll give you that, Brad. Yeah. Uh, but uh, I'm, likewise, I've introduced him to like Ingmar Bergman, Seventh Seal, which I can't believe you hadn't seen before. And no. My Neighbor Totoro, I introduced you to that, which is crazy. It's harder to find things for, that Brad hasn't seen than it is uh, for, for us to find stuff that Brad has seen that I haven't. But the whole point is... It's a celebration of cinema. You get these fresh perspectives. So these movies that have amassed like these reputations where something like Citizen Kane, it's the greatest movie of all time. You get somebody who's never seen it before coming in with a fresh perspective saying like, well, I don't know why somebody would say that's the greatest movie ever, but I respect the craft and blah, blah, blah. And uh, it, it's great. I mean, I love movies and it's such a, it's so much fun to, to revisit certain favorites that I have through the lens of somebody who hasn't seen them and vice versa. I've seen so many great movies that I had never seen before that are now favorites of mine. What's critical to the success of missing frames as a concept is the structure of the show. So the two parties meet before they have watched the movie, the one person who adores the film or who has at least has seen the film before explains why this might be a good film to have a conversation around. Then the two people depart, they go watch the film and then they come back and record their thoughts about what they had just experienced and whether the film still lives up or maybe uh, it, it doesn't, or maybe the person you thought was going to love it, <clears throat> Demon Knight and Sean, actually didn't <laughs> quite love it the way you were hoping. I enjoyed it though. I enjoyed it like that. That I give you like I give you that much. Yeah. Okay. I'll take it. I'll take it. Yeah. <laughs> Demon Knight, I think, is the only film on missing frames that we've discussed that is technically a comic book movie based on Tales from the Crypt, even though there's yeah. no actual Demon Knight source material. That's true. And it's, I think, obviously, like I was saying, it's you and I, we have a lot of crossover as far as the movies we've seen, but I, I don't think there is a comic book movie that I've seen that you haven't seen. So that it makes a lot of sense that <laughs> we wouldn't be able to find many of those. You know what? We should drill down and see if that's true or not. I, we should I, give that a shot. I know I, we've discussed doing like Tank Girl or something like that. Oh, Tank uh, Girl would be a great I've episode. Not, I've not seen that. So, but yeah, it's, it's, it, it was something I, I don't even remember how I came up with that, but I just thought it'd be really fun to get a, a like a sincere, like a legitimate, like, before and after snapshot and like get real reactions. Like somebody coming in and saying, I don't care about this movie. I've never wanted to see. And then the next thing, uh, the next part is them being like, Oh my God, I loved it. It's one of my favorites. (laughs) Just getting that like honest, like sincere reaction live essentially is it's so much fun. But we're here to talk about Superman, the movie, and I've already introduced you as the biggest Superman fan that I know. And Mm. Superman is a character that Lisa and I have not really covered on the podcast in any way. My Uh, God. Lois and Clark is such an iconic romance that like Lisa and I decided. Yeah. I mean, what's going on with this? Well, we we thought early on, like, it's so iconic, we want to withhold that conversation. We, we have uh, to pace ourselves. Yeah, I the, gotcha, the I guys. gotcha. 
So, like, this is going to be our tease of what that Lois and Clark series of episodes might end up being. Although, I'm, I, I we're definitely not covering it this year, and we probably mm. won't even cover it next year. I'm, I'm, I want to hold on to Lois and Clark for as long as I can. In fact, like the <laughs> next Superman relationship we might cover on the podcast, I think would be actually. Superman and Wonder Woman, Clark and Diana, because oh, that stirs up a lot of uh, anxiety amongst fans. Uh, I feel like this is yeah. going to be like it's going to be that thing that never happens. Like so, you're going <laughs> to hook people, and people are like, "Okay, I'm going to I'm going to subscribe to the Comic Book Couples Counseling Podcast. I'm going to sign up for the Patreon, and I am." Crossing my fingers that we're going to get Superman, but that's the thing you're going to dangle over their heads forever. And, and like, just like perpetually, like, so yeah, we're going to do it. Just stay hooked into us as long as you can, uh, because it will be what, what did you say, Brad? Not next year, maybe not the year after, but someday. Superman. I, I feel like the moment we do Lois and Clark, like, that's the end of the show. What? <laughs> I, don't, I don't think that's necessarily true, Brad. Okay, good. good. All right. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> don't, don't quote him on that, anybody. Please do not jinx us. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I, uh, I, I like I, I said, it, it is an honor to be referred to as in terms of Superman. I love Superman so much. Um, I, I, so many of my fondest memories are being introduced to the character, seeing these movies for the first time, and I've been, you know, Superman in general. It seems like maybe not more than every comic book character, let's say the mainstream, like the A-list superheroes or A-list comic book characters. I feel like I've spent a lot of time having needing to explain why Superman is great or better than people perceive him as. Because in general, I think sometimes Superman tends to get beat up for like, oh, he's so perfect and he's a Boy Scout and da-da-da. Things that, and I love, you know, Superman the movie is one of my all-time favorites. I think it's my favorite superhero movie. I think it's a, a masterpiece. But I think a lot of these things are perpetuated by that film. That film is so iconic and so huge. And it's so just, it overwhelms everything about the conversation of Superman that I think sometimes people are like, oh yeah, Christopher Reeve, he's like, perfect he's basically jesus and he can do no wrong and i've had to come in and be like well no there's like they're great comics and superman's actually got more depth it's just that to me i think superman the movie like early james bond you kind of you you just take what you're given essentially mm. it's like here's the character here's what he is we're not going to explore it. it's not casino royale it's not daniel craig it's just like enjoy it for what it is so uh i've i've always felt in my life I not isolated. I I felt like the Superman person. A lot of friends are like, "Oh, Batman's great," or "Spider-Man's great," and I love Batman and Spider-Man. But I'm the one who's always like, "Let's put it, let's push for Superman. He deserves more attention and love than he's gotten." Yeah, like I think that you know a a big factor to that is that Superman is the first superhero, right? Like Action Comics number one comes yeah. out in 1938, the creation of Jerry Siegel and Joe Shuster, and. There, there was not a superhero figure before Superman. And because he is the prototype uh, and he has been around for so long, I think we t sometimes take him for granted as a yes. character. And uh, it, it yeah. doesn't help that, uh, you know, I mean, be, like you said, he set the template, but also I think because there was no other superhero, it was like, well, let's give him literally every, every on on a whim will give him new powers like he'll get new powers all the time because we don't have like why not there's only one superhero out there who can do anything superman does so let's give him 
ice breath and laser vision and super strength and he can fly and it's almost like he was he was picked up by mainstream uh, attention very quickly. And so, mm. you know, he gets a radio show, he gets a television show, and all these different yeah. adaptations that start to happen, they start to add on to the mythology. And then a new writer comes along, n- new stuff, new stuff, new stuff. So he's constantly evolving very, very, very quickly. Yes, exactly. And I, but I agree. I think there is, um, Superman in general, I, I, I make it sound like people are like, oh, Superman sucks. And I don't think that's true at all. I think people do love Superman. I think a lot of what makes it tough is, like you said, Brad, Superman's had a lot of mainstream success. But I think his most successful, like if we're talking about movies and things like that, it's mostly like the 70s and that era of film, which is unquestionably dated today and there's stuff like you watch superman the movie which i i adore but like there's stuff in that and especially uh superman 2 um not to mention the the other two movies which i'll try to avoid mentioning as much as possible <laughs> for everyone's health and sanity but i think it when you're most like it, they got superman so right donner got superman so right christopher reeve margot Kidder, like it was so perfect right out of the gate i feel like every interpretation has just been flailing to figure out how to live up to that. And unfortunately, that means that either we have something like Superman Returns, which is basically a remake of Superman, uh, the movie, or something like Man of Steel, which is just like going in the, not the, you know, not, I'm not not gonna, I'm gonna try not to bash on Man of Steel, but like I think trying so hard to depart from that idea of the character that it almost completely misses the point of what makes the character special but when you that's your like ideal interpretation of the character night late 1970s with like special effects that were raising the bar but are definitely like they don't hold up as well as star wars or something like that today um Mm. i i think that contributes to to the idea of like oh is superman just dated like we don't have a modern quote-unquote interpretation that is embraced by the the mass public well i think like the film comes out in 1978 right and it burns itself into the pop culture consciousness and Mm. when you have deviations even within the comic book from what most people experienced from that 1978 film they uh react poorly to it or confused by it or worst case scenario, the creators involved with the Superman comics and the Superman films don't try to do something different than what Richard Donner yes. did. And we get kind of carbon copies. Lisa and I were watching the Incredible Hulk movie the other night, uh, the, the, the MCU version with Edward Norton. Mm. And you know they, they talk a lot about on that commentary track the difficulty with doing the Hulk is, you know, the Hulk doesn't want to have Banner around and Banner doesn't want to have the Hulk around. And so that makes for a challenging narrative. But the only reason they truly feel that way is because they remember the Lou Ferrigno, Bill Bixby show so well, because it burned itself into the popular consciousness that they're not aware of all the different deviations that have actually occurred in the comic books. And there are lots of places you could go with that character if you can break free from the iconic status of the films. And I think Superman, the movie has that effect as well. Yeah. I think, I I think cinema in general, for me, I don't know, Lisa and Brad, you may agree with this, but I feel like if you have a film version of your character, that tends to be the 
top most like in the in the public eye that is the version of the character like that is how people perceive comics are like people read comics but it's a little bit more of a niche thing whereas movies yeah. everybody goes to the movies right. so when you get that interpretation or like you said a popular television show like the the hulk tv show like i think people just are they latch onto that and people are more likely to go to a movie than sit down and like oh let me go read uh Mark Wade's birthright and like realize, oh, there's a little bit more complexity to this character that hasn't really been explored. Like people are only willing to sit down for two to two and a half hours with that version of the character. And then they're like, that's it. That's what it is. And if, th- if other things don't measure up to it, then that's, then that's their problem. But also like, if this movie Superman doesn't live up to what I want a superhero movie to be, then it's just Superman's problem. Like it's, he's the character, the character, I don't like him and I'll just dismiss it outright. Yeah. More people watch movies and they read comic books. That's a fact. Uh, And then, you know, more people play video games and they watch movies now. And that's why when you have like (laughs) Arkham Asylum comes out, that becomes the Batman for a while. Yes. Yeah. But Lisa, you mentioned last week how Superman, the movie That is for so many people, and it certainly is the case for me and you, and I believe Sean as well, that is the introduction of Superman as a concept Mm -hmm. and also comic books as a concept as well. And so, like, I'm I'm curious for you, like, do you do you remember your first experience watching this movie or if not this movie, do you remember your first ideas of what Superman was? Um, I have vague memories of my dad watching Superman 1978 and and me popping in and out of it. Mm -hmm. I also have memories of Christopher Reeve going on the Muppet show and showing up in those kinds of things. (laughs) So, um, for a long time, Christopher Reeve and Superman were just the same, the same person. Mm -hmm. Mm. Um, But, like, I still, like, it wasn't one of those movies that I watched so much as a child that I had absorbed the whole story. Um, I don't think it was until we got married that I sat down to watch it in earnest. And I I haven't seen it enough to um, know the ins and outs of it. Every time I watch it, um, I, I find... New surprises and new shrugs and new flinches um, <laughs> about it. But I always find it to be this really um, sweet and and nostalgic watch. And, and, and for you, um, what do you think works so well about Superman the movie that maybe previous comic book type adaptations didn't really get right you know because like in 1978 before that you know what do you have you have of course like the batman tv show and the batman movie with adam west and burt ward Mm -hmm. uh you know 1960 blah 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 1966 right and then you know you had stuff like pulp serials you know the phantom and a captain america serial and mandrake the magician and the shadow which are kind of like comic book adjacent uh but like at this point in 1978, just after Star Wars comes out, comic books were in a very campy space. And so for you, like when you watch Superman, like we did just this afternoon, a couple hours ago, like what stands <laughs> out is like, oh, that's why this landed so well. I think it's the relationship between Lois Lane 
and Clark Kent slash Superman. Mm. I mm-hmm. think um, for for some, they would like to be Lois Lane, where <laughs> where um, somebody comes in and uh, amongst all of the ordinary people, this God thinks that you're special and beautiful and deserve to fly up in the sky. And, ah, you know, he's just a guy from the office. Like, this is just a dream come true. While while (laughs) others go like, you know what? I might come across as like this nerdy, clumsy guy, but actually I know that I'm very strong and cool. Um, (laughs) So I think that there is somebody for everyone to want to kind of relate to and emulate mm. in the film relationship wise. Though I like, I do think that this film straddles like the campiness and yeah. like the action in like this kind of awkward way. And, and I think <laughs> at the, the like the apex of the awkwardness is Gene Hackman yeah. and Gene Hackman's oh, performance. Yeah. I, I don't want to get to Gene Hackman yet. We're going to get there. We're going to get <laughs> That's there. That's a whole other topic. Is the crux. <laughs> yeah, I, I agree with you. I agree with you. <laughs> we're we're going to save Gene Hackman, not next year, but maybe the year after <laughs> we'll focus on Gene Hackman. <laughs> no, no, we're going to talk Gene Hackman. I just want to know, like, I, 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 I definitely uh, appreciate and agree with what you're saying about the relationship between Clark, Superman, Lo- I think and Lois. that, um, Christopher Reeve and his performance of his being able to balance, like, you know, he, like, when he is playing Clark Kent, he is so endearing and clumsy and well-meaning and yet so calculated, Mm -hmm. you know, Mm -hmm. like his, him trying to act weak and him being so amused and charmed at us just kind of shrugging him off. Mm, mm. (laughs) Um, I think it's just so intriguing. And I feel like, um, like, and and your relationship to Clark Kent in this film changes over time. Cause of course, uh, like as a kid, I go like, Oh, you know, what a dweeb, (laughs) you know? And, but as I get older and I see him kind of, um, Toying, masquerading, yeah, yes. t- toying with Lois Lane in particular. <laughs> like he was the one who double booked himself for the date on the roof. Like <laughs> I, 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 like I, I think that he wanted to see the Lois Lane's reaction to Clark Kent after mm, yeah. being in the yes. presence yeah. of someone like Superman. I think that he was doing his own little experiment and mm. it's just so interesting I like it and and i don't know because i like part of me goes like is that creepy kind of yeah i think kind of. i think kind of. <laughs> maybe a little bit i'm sure i am sure that was uh i think you've thought about it for sure more than donner or tom mankowitz ever did like they were like wouldn't it be funny if clark shows up and and superman had just been there like i think it's like oh yeah that is a little creepy when you think about it for sure so for you sean when What's your like takeaway for what this film does that other films don't or other comic book adaptations don't that really captured the imagination of the time and continues to hold on to that imagination? I think it was I, to me, um, blockbuster cinema. People don't talk about this that much, but I 100% believe this. I think you have Jaws in 1975 
you have Star Wars in 1977, and then you have Superman in 1978. And I think that's a trifecta that like you just saw, like this is what movies are going to be moving forward. This is what blockbuster cinema is going to be moving forward. So I think Superman, the year after Star Wars, people are like anxious for something that captures that same imagination, that same sense of optimism and spirit and fun. And you've got John Williams doing the soundtrack again. So it just kind of fits into that mold perfectly. I think it was a perfect storm of people were ready for this movie. People wanted this movie. They wanted to believe a man could fly. But as far as the, why people embraced it so enthusiastically, I think because it, it's, I, I think Lisa's spot on. I also think it's because of its heart. Like I think it feels so heartfelt. It's a film that, you know, it's an action movie, kind of, but it's it's one of its big centerpieces is a romantic flight between the two main characters that features a spoken word poem. <laughs> um, that's insane. Like in a movie that had yeah. the largest budget of, of all time at the time, that to me is almost like it, it's... On the one hand, somebody could look at it and I could perfectly understand why they were like, this is ridiculous. But on the other hand, I look at it and I say, that's kind of why I I love that. Because what other superhero movie gives you that moment? But I... I I'm gonna I'm gonna do some name dropping here, everybody. Brace yourselves. Uh, I got to inter I got to interview Richard Donner. It was one of the great, great, great honors of my life. Um, uh, th- this movie means so much to me. And I asked him something I never actually heard him say. Maybe I missed it, but I've I've watched and I've consumed a lot of Donner interviews about Superman through the years. Um I always wanted to ask him, like you said, Brad, at the time, comic books and superheroes in general were like, oh, it's kids stuff. Like it's, it's either you have to do it as like a cartoon and it's, it's goofy and it's for kids, or you do it as a parody because people dressing up in costumes is just so absurd that you can't take it seriously. You have to do the pow, wham, like that's how it works. And that's what Superman was going to be originally. It was going to be that kind of vibe where it was a parody and it was like Superman's kind of a joke, isn't he? And I I am amazed to this day that Richard Donner, when he came in, was like, no, no, no. Like that's not, there are camp elements in this movie for sure, but the camp is done from a place of sincerity, it wears its heart on its sleeve and it's genuinely funny. Like to me, like even the Gene Hackman stuff is very, very funny and goofy. Like there's, and there's nothing about Superman himself that is winking at the audience in a way that's like, this is ridiculous. Like Superman himself as a character is treated with utmost seriousness. Like it is like, we believe this guy exists and Christopher Reeve is amazing. And I asked Donner, I said, why, in the landscape of comic books and superheroes at the time, what inspired that decision? Because it makes more sense to go the opposite route, to be like, oh yeah, comic books are ridiculous, aren't they? We should treat them as such. And he told me, he was like, look, when I grew up with this, he's like, I grew up reading these comics and it, it meant the world to me. He's like, I believed in Superman. I believe, and I wanted to create that for a kid. He's like, you can't just, you, you don't step away from that. You don't destroy that. You, embrace and you preserve it because Superman is part of our, our history. It's part of our lexicon. He is important and he is, he's an icon and you treat that icon with respect. And I, I, that blew me away. I, I still to this day think it's incredible that Donner came in and said, no, we're going to make a, 
a relatively serious straight interpretation that takes that respects the material, takes it seriously and honors what it is. And I think that respect while also not taking itself too seriously is what makes the movie work because the movie is relatively serious when it's like on Krypton and or Krypton as, as Mr. Brando would refer to it. Um, and, and Smallville, it's like, it's very like, it's played relatively straight. It's not the, the kind of campy elements that show up once Superman appears, but like once the movie, like once Christopher Reeve and Margot Kidder get in there, it's very fast. It's very zippy and it's fun. And the jokes work like it, like Superman or Clark walking up to a, a 1970s phone booth mm. that is no longer enclosed. That's an amazing gag. I laugh every time because it works on so many levels. And it also is just like, it is a gag, but it, it works. It's not mo- mocking the character. It is recognizing the iconography of yes. the character, yeah. winking at the audience and saying, we're all in this together. And it's just, it works so well. So I think it's, it's sincerity, it's respect, and also recognizing that you can be serious while also embracing a sense of fun, which is, you know, it's what Star Wars did the year before. And I think that's why audiences so embraced it. And of course, like at the core of everything is Christopher Reeve and Margot Kidder. I think that is so crude without them. This movie doesn't work as, as wonderful as everything is as amazing as John Barry's production design and Jeffrey Unsworth cinematography. Everything is amazing, but at the heart of it is that relationship uh, for sure. But I think it's, it's treating with respect and sincerity. Yeah. I think that phone booth gag is so crucial because one, it's funny, but it, it is a hallmark of how um, legendary the character already is by this point in 1978, you know, like that joke only works because the, 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 the people making the film know that everyone out there knows about the phone booth. Right. And so it's a a fun gag, but it also underscores Superman's importance within the culture. For me, I agree with everything you're saying. You know, this is also as much as we're talking about Superman, the movie, this is a Richard Donner tribute. And I think that man is why this movie works so well. Yes. Uh, and we are going to include links in the show notes for your interview with Richard Donner <gasps> on Missing Frames. You're so too kind click to on that uh, after you listen to this episode. Listen. <laughs> <laughs> um, but like, you know, Superman, the movie, the Salt Kinds went after this film in the early 70s. In like 1973, it took a long time to negotiate a contract with DC Comics so that they could make the movie. And then once that happened, they really wanted to make something big. And they were chasing people to be in this film that were huge. You know, Muhammad Ali was considered to be Superman. Steve (laughs) McQueen, James Caan, Dustin Hoffman, Clint Eastwood. Uh, And, you know, director-wise, Francis Ford Coppola, William Friedkin, Peter Yates, um, Sam Peckinpah. Sam Peckinpah apparently, in his meeting with the Salkinds, pulled a gun out. And that's why they were like, you're not making this movie. Uh, George Lucas turned it down because he was in the process of making Star Wars. They they wanted Spielberg to work on it, but they were like, I don't know if his fish movie is going to do well. <laughs> and then it does great. And then they're like, Spielberg, come make our movie. And they're like, no. And they go to Richard Donner eventually because he just had success with The Omen, which Lisa and I yeah. just rewatched the other night. That movie is it's great. wild. 
If you have not it seen the nuts. Omen, you got to watch the Omen. It's crazy. Best decapitation. It's also like, wasn't, was that his, I don't know if it was his first feature, it but is. I'm pretty sure. So Superman is a, so that's insane in general, but like you do see in the Omen, like little seeds of Superman, but there's no way I look at the Omen and think like, Oh, this is the guy to make a Superman movie. You he know clearly you would understand at, and love. You look at his television work because Richard Donner yeah. before the Omen, he was making the twilight zone. You know, he did nightmare yes. at 20,000 feet with William Shatner. He did episodes of wanted dead or life. He did a bunch of Westerns. He did the man from uncle, like, all the heart and sincerity and authenticity of Superman is really in Richard Donner's TV work. And mm-hmm. what you're saying about Richard Donner respecting the kid he was in the 30s and 40s reading action comics and wanting to make a movie for the kids of today by treating it very seriously, not kiddie stuff, not talking down – that was the most crucial thing. So, yeah. you know, they make they, they, the salt kinds are like, let's go get Mario Puzo to write my screenplay. You know, William Goldman <laughs> turns them down. Mario Puzo turns in like this 500 page camp epic that is apparently yes. super silly. And Donner's like, once he's hired, no way. We're not doing this. Yeah. And the- well, it was it was it was Puzo. Puzo. I like I know he said he's like, oh, I see this as a Greek tragedy. And I don't know what his draft looked like. But I imagine he brought some level of elegance to it. I know it was, I think it was David and Leslie Newman who had written, I think they'd written the Broadway musical, It's a Bird, It's a Plane, It's Superman. And I think that's why they were brought in. But also, (laughs) if anyone needs to know what Superman could have been, all they have to do is watch Superman 3. Like that was written exclusively by then and Richard Donner's out of the picture by that point. You have Richard Lester directing who was very much like, I love Richard Lester at Hard Day's Night is one of my favorite movies. Um, but like he was very much like, oh, it's a comic book. There's not much we can do here. Let's just embrace, like let's. It, there's nothing worthwhile here. You can, what's amazing about this franchise is if you want to see the disaster that Superman could have been, all you have to do is look ahead a couple movies and and there it is yeah. right there. And it's bad. Superman 3 is bad. I have a little bit of a soft spot for it. Uh, I certainly <laughs> prefer it more to uh, the quest for peace part four. I think part I agree, four is yeah. really atrocious. Oh yeah. Um, but yeah, three is not, three is not, <laughs> three is not good. Um, but, you know, the, the opening of Superman, where the curtain literally pulls back and we see the 4-3 frame of a child opening the page of Action Comics, and we're getting this little monologue about how the Daily Planet, during the Depression, kept mm-hmm. the concept of truth alive in the citizens of Metropolis. And that just being like, you're, this is how we're going to, slowly pull you into this story it's it's surprising to this day that that's how richard donner did it before going into that incredible john williams credit sequence right and which when i was a kid i was i i i actually saw superman 2 first and which was great because it has that uh opening credits montage like they cut cut together scenes from the first movie um and as a kid i remember thinking like where are all the scenes like it's just it's just the cast and it's the credits it's the crew and things like that and now i i watch it and i'm like this is the best thing on the planet like this opening credit sequence i it's it's 20 minutes long um (laughs) it's not actually 20 minutes long but it's like i could just watch this and it, it it's so good but i agree i love um 
setting the stage, just like it, it feels, it's elegant. There's elegance to Superman. It feels like Citizen Kane. Like yeah, it's, it's doing it's, its own little Citizen Kane opening. Yeah, yeah, yes. that's that, I had not thought about that, Lisa. But you're so right it on. It definitely is. But it's just it's giving you that sense of like we're we're this is cinema in a way, and not pretentiously. It's not being like ah, oh, we are making true art. It is just like we are here. We're at the movies. This is exactly where you want to be. And we're starting in small black and white four by three. And then the, the most expensive film credits. I don't know if this is still the case, but I know at the time the, the budget for those film credits were more than many in like the entire budgets of many, many films released in in the (laughs) seventies. Like that's how big this movie is. So you have the most expensive opening credits of all time at the time. Like it's just like that. It works so perfectly. It's small and intimate, and you're setting yourself up for like we're going to tell you a story, and then you have this bombastic like you are in for a real treat. Like you are you're in good hands. And then like the first forty five minutes of Superman the movie, and the movie like you're saying is part of the title. This is cinema. They're making a point there. Superman the movie. The first forty five minutes of the movie is nearly flawless. Like the mm. only thing I could ding is the whole Marlon Brando's clearly reading lines. Okay. <laughs> but if you, if you, you know, squint, I, I, don't notice. Yeah, I, I think, I think Brando gets a, gets a bad rep for this movie. I'm not going to like defend him and be like, Oh my God, he's clearly delighted to be there. But I, I think as far as the gravitas of what Jorel needs to be, he does, I think just because he's Brando, like he just exudes that. But to me, there's not much more to that character as far as like, what else could you do? Like he's kind of just stoic and he's stern and he's serious. And I think Brando does a fine job, even though I wouldn't argue with anybody who was like, he's kind of filling it in, isn't he? I'm kind of like, ah, maybe, but I'd still think it works for what this movie's doing. Yeah. I mean, you know, uh, I'll give it to you. I'll let, I, like, <laughs> I, I think I fall a little bit more on the negative side. Like I, he's such a big personality and such a recognizable face at this point that it's a little distracting to me um, <laughs> when the rest of the film is sort of populated. You know, we all know like the, uh, you know, the stars of this movie now, but the, 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 the rest of the cast sort of lets you just slide into the story. And I, and I just think like, uh, Jorel's star Brando's star burns a little too brightly mm. but again like that's a minor minor quibble and I uh, and once we leave Krypton and the Krypton sequence I think is awesome I, I mean I do love everything that's happening in the Krypton sequence but then that whole Smallville bit with Glenn Ford mm. you know imparting the lessons of middle America to Clark Kent I think is is just beautiful And it's crucial because we don't get like Superman. This is not a knock against it, but Superman is so concerned with having fun and relishing in what makes the character wonderful that it's, it's not a character examination. Like I said, this is like Goldfinger James Bond. It's not Casino Royale. We're not getting an in-depth view into like, who is Clark Kent? Why does he do what he does? Like what motivates Superman? It's kind of like, well, he's Superman. He just does the right thing. So the Smallville stuff is so crucial because it provides that sense of context. Like, well, here's how Clark was raised. Here's why he would want to save people. Here's the chip on his shoulder is that no matter how many powers he has, no matter like what abilities he has, no matter how many people he saves, he can't stop 
the passage of time. He can't prevent people he loves from dying just out of sheer, like it is the natural course of life. And it, it provides an emotional context that like without it, I think the movie would be great, but I, I think you, it's so necessary yeah. as an emotional, uh, uh, anchor to what, like just keeping it feeling like, again, that sincerity. I'm not here to knock on man of steel. I don't think that movie is bad is as bad as some people do. I like a mm. lot about that film, but I think the way that it handles, uh, Pa Kent and the death of Pa Kent in particular, really like, you know, you said Mrs. Point. I mean, it like, <laughs> yeah, it yeah. sails past the point. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. and the whole, the whole point is when you have the most powerful being on the planet, like wh- the thing that makes that breaks his heart is the reality of like, you can't save everybody. So when you kind of <laughs> contradict it and be like, no, you, you didn't save him because he, you know, a tornado was coming and he didn't want you to, well, like the man of steel, use your powers. what happens there is it, it's, it's becomes about fear and hiding yourself and, yeah. and, and this fear of what humanity will do to somebody so special. And I, I do like how that does play out in B- Batman v Superman: Dawn of Justice. I am a fan of that film, but but it, <laughs> it is it, it's not what Superman the movie is, and it's it's certainly not what uh, fans of the Christopher Reeve iteration want to see, right? Right. Uh, and Glenn Ford's performance when he grabs his arm, like Lisa. Oh yeah, you, know, you made that point earlier today. Yeah, um, I love that. He, um, when he realizes that uh, his journey is done on planet Earth, he looks around at his farm and he says, oh no. And you just know Mm. in that moment, he feels not done. Like he's not done imparting wisdom to his son. He's not done taking care of his wife. He's just, he doesn't feel finished with what he's there to do. And, and I find that moment to be so vulnerable and poetic and just, and I think it, it underscores uh, the idea of like, okay, well, Clark is on his own, you know? And um, I think uh, it also kind of ushers uh, Jor-El in once again, as the father figure, because um, Pa Kent's message was like, in this film, like ignoring the man of steel of it all, in this film, (laughs) Pa Kent's message to his son was like, the thing that makes you special is not frivolous, right? It's not for your own um, gratification and glorification. There is something you are intended to do and and we don't want to waste it you know we don't want to waste it on a on a football game or we don't want to we don't want to waste it on impressing a girl right we want we want to save what makes you special for the person you're going to marry and so uh, keep it in your pants no i'm joking Um, (laughs) um, that's the subtext of i think the entire film that's right keep it in your pants that's right and if you're if you're going to use your powers cover it in latex (laughs) Um, um, but then like um we have him discovering jor-el who uh luckily um created an entire powerpoint presentation for his <laughs> for his son when he comes of age and so and 
And Jarrell's message is like, you know, don't forget that you're different. You know what I mean? Don't forget your special heritage. Like, yeah. um, don't forget you, you are super Jesus. That's right. That's right. And, and, um, and so I think that, um, he had the humility from Pa Kent of like, you're here to serve something greater than yourself. Uh, and you're not to do it frivolously. You're supposed to do it with like the utmost respect. And then um, Jarrell's message of like, but you are extraordinary mm. and there is nobody like you. So I, I think that like he, he doesn't, he's able to have humility without shame, which I think is yeah. really unique in the comic book space. Mm. Yeah. Well, that's what some, that's something that I, I tell people a lot. Like I, again, I, I love Spider-Man. I love Batman. I love Daredevil, all these heroes. And a lot of these, these big comic book characters, it's like, what's, what's the origin story? Oh, well, the uncle got shot and mm-hmm. Peter Parker feels responsible. The parents were killed and, and Bruce Wayne's like never ending battle to avenge that death. And like, you know, and, and I tell people, I'm like, you know, there's something really appealing about Superman is uh, can do anything, can do literally anything, but he wants to help people. It, and it's not like, you know, you could say like, oh, did Jonathan Kent's death motivate that? Not really. Like he was going to help people regardless it's of whether or not. It's not that it motivated him, but he did get something from the Kents and he did get something yes. from uh, the House of L. And, and it's about yeah. the, f- the, the parents imparting their knowledge and wisdom to Superman, which is different than those other characters you're talking about. Exactly. It it comes from a place of like, he was raised right and he wants to do the right thing, not driven by guilt, but because it's the right thing to do. And there's something really appealing about that, especially when you have a character who can like (laughs) uh, bringing up Superman four, which I, I know Brad, we shouldn't do, uh, but he can, he can, move the moon in front of the sun yeah. to create a lunar eclipse. He can do anything, you know, it's like, so there's something very sweet and sincere to me about the most powerful being on the planet. Also taking the time to save a little cat from a tree to like, to help a girl, like a little girl out. Like I, that's really to me what the core of Superman is. Like you said, Lisa, it's the balance of like, you are special, but also use those special abilities to like, help people both like the, like the pr- protect them when they need protecting, but also like help a girl get her cat out of a tree. I think uh, a moment that typifies like, because uh, the only place where like once his parents, once he leaves his home, there's really no place where, um, Clark Kent Superman truly gets to be himself except for inside his own head mm-hmm. or when mm-hmm. he's entirely alone. Um, so like where I see um, Clark Kent and Superman um, become one true person. Existing as one. Is when he has just rescued Lois Lane um, from the crashing helicopter and she is completely breathless and in awe of him. And he feels so seen for being this powerful, strong man. And he's done this Mm -hmm. thing that is just so good. And it's time for him to leave. 
And he says, bye. <laughs> like, that's bye. who I think th- that um, Kal-El is. He's the yeah. guy who's just like, I am just so happy to be here. I've had a wonderful experience with you. And gosh darn it, I'm polite. <laughs> it happens twice. It, it happens, happens twice. Oh, did I mix up scenes? <laughs> no, no, no. You're right. It happens no, you're with right. the helicopter scene. But then also in the cat in the tree, he oh, yeah. does say goodbye, goodbye to the little girl. And then she yeah, walks just, into the house and gets slapped which by her mom. Which is like the least cinematic. <laughs> yeah, I know. That's horrible. Like it's, <laughs> it's horrible. But for some reason, I find it so – it's such a like – what a ridiculous – moment like haven't i told you to stop telling lies but i, <laughs> I and the fact that you hear you hear an audible smack it, i can't help laughing i know it's terrible but it makes me laugh i know time. that's part of the like datedness of the movie but i think also like it's also an acknowledgement of like what superman is fixing is very surface level oh. <laughs> yeah <laughs> you know <laughs> like the cats, i the cats well, also you know helicopters falling from the sky but the dar- there is darkness <laughs> But to Brad's point also, like he says bye to the little girl, but he also says bye to Frisky, the cat. He's like, bye, bye, so long, bye Frisky. Like he says bye to the kitty cat because he's Superman. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So but like, then like that's like the least cinematic heroic thing to do. You always, right. like, you know, generally you just, you leave everybody in awe and you just fly off saying nothing. And the fact that he's like, bye, it's just like so... <laughs> It's, it's adorable. This, Superman needs Superman needs to be adorable. Like I yes. think at the core of it, you have to have that aw shucks sense of like, like you said, Lisa, he's just happy. Like, Oh, everyone's okay. I'm so glad to hear that. And it's like, you just stopped uh, the, the air force one from crash. Like what are you talking about? He's just like saluting and like, happy to be here, everybody. And they're just like, what just happened? This portion of the movie is like where, it hits the peak of quality for me. You know, we have this introduction of Metropolis where Clark Kent gets to know the people of the Daily Planet. And, you know, Jackie Cooper is awesome as Perry White. I adore, I adore Jimmy Olsen, Mark McClure. Uh, He is Mm. so good for the short amount of screen time he has in this movie. And, you know, like the fumbling Clark Kent that we truly meet in that scene. Um, And then it's now it's Superman time. He rescues Lois from the helicopter. And it's like this big coming out party where I'm going to go do all this cool stuff now in one evening. Yes. It's I love that there's a there's just a like, all right, now he's saving people. We're just going to this is the movie now. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's a fantastic montage of what Superman is here to do in Metropolis. (laughs) <laughs> then we get introduced to Gene Hackman as Lex Luthor <laughs> mm-hmm. and, and, and Ned Beatty as uh, Otis and, of course, Miss Ta- Tessmacher. Um, and, like, in their own little movie, if I just watch the Lex Luthor stuff alone, I'm having a pretty good time with it. But honestly, it just doesn't jive for me as a modern viewer. When I was a kid... It didn't bother me at all. But today, watching Superman the movie for like the millionth time, I just don't like Gene Hackman's version of <laughs> Lex Luthor. Well, what, what was Lex Luthor at the time? That, so part of it is I – so uh, full disclosure, I, I love the Gene Hackman stuff. I love the campiness. It, it To me, it's like is he a genuine threat? Not really, no. Um, I think – 
Tom Mankiewicz, who I, I think is awesome and cr- contributed so much to this film, what makes it special. But Tom Mankiewicz was also very involved with the, uh, the early Roger Moore Bond movies. So live and let die man with the golden gun. So he is bringing that camp factor and that sense of like Luthor is essentially a bond villain and it's not, it doesn't go deeper than that. But also as far as the comics were concerned, was Luthor, I would have loved the, I don't think billionaire, like I think John Byrne brought that in, in the eighties. And I think that I, that concept of Lex Luthor as a businessman, which is so compelling and so much more interesting than Lex Luthor lives in an underground lair with bumbling idiots and just comes up with the plan to yeah. buy land in California. I mean, it's, it's just, it, it compared to what we know, what we've seen of Luthor in this day and age, that's just like, it, there's no comparison. He's a Bond villain and yes. he's campy and goofy, yes. but I, I, I kind of love all of it. And my knowledge of Superman history pre doomsday. Cause I didn't start reading Superman comics until the doomsday death of Superman business. And I've, right. I've pretty much, uh, you know, I've, I've come and gone here and there with Superman, but since then I've, I've read a lot of Superman, but I've never gone back and read earlier Superman stories. I haven't read John Burns, man of steel, for example. Uh, I, I need to do that. I know. And I certainly haven't read like early Lex Luthor stuff. I, I do believe he was not always the thing that he is currently in the comics. I think he was, at the time, I think he was this. Like, I think he was just like a mad scientist who kept concocting plans to take out Superman. So I give, I kind of give it some leeway where I'm like, well, that was Lex Luthor. He wasn't, that's not that even was him. necessarily my problem though. It's just tonally, it's not the the villain it's, that I want. Like it's a so little camp. It's yeah. It's <laughs> like, I don't mind the film straddling camp. Like we were talking about before. And clearly the movie does straddle camp throughout the entire runtime. But for me, this is where it goes a little too afar into the goof zone. Well, part of it is that it is not grounded at all because they do no. want to spend <laughs> so much time with Lois Lane and building that relationship and creating this romance that when we get to the Lex Luthor th- scenes, they're like, okay, we've got to move this plot along. Right. Like, um, yeah. <laughs> you know, we got to get, we, there, Superman has to have a villain or a big thing to, to fight in the third act of this film. So we have to set the plot machinations up so that he can do that later so, on. So, so though I, I think that his underground metropolis layer is rad. like so amazing. Yeah, it's rad. <laughs> and the fact that he, um, is, uh, creating evil through real estate so random but but also (laughs) so perfect of the time yeah of course but it is it's such a james bond thing he i mean i i look at it as like this is the late 70s tom mankowitz is involved it's james bond this is that's all this is it's those elements carrying over but later in the scene after um you know superman has been introduced and his uh, he had his like expose and the daily planet um, we have this brainstorming sesh with, you know, Lex and Miss Techmacher. 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 And Otis. And it's just like, he just figures out everything about Superman just out of like, okay, he can't see lead. He's from another planet. 
I've got this guy figured Crypt- out. Kryptonite is yeah. his weakness. Like, it's like the, the specific level of radiation. It's like, wait, what? Where, what? Where did you get this from? Yeah, like where all of the plot, they're like, okay, we somehow have to make this make sense. So we're going to just compress all of this into one scene. Like it yes. just, it's just like so ridiculous where it's just like, it would have been better if uh, he just figured it out some other way. I like, I feel like the, um, the, the emphasis really was on the relationship and, and what is it, you know, what? Yeah. I mean, know. yeah, it's all, it, it, it is about Lois and Clark and to Sean's point, the final, like the, the interview or the, the, the middle of the movie interview or two thirds of the movie interview yeah. is so extensive. Like that flight yes. where it goes into a poem is weird. <laughs> that, I mean, it is it is as again as the 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 man who like i i adore this movie i think it's the best um i i laugh every time i can you read my mind i laugh every time it's it's so weird and it is so like as as somebody who's like this is the greatest superhero movie it is so elegant and it is so serious like i that is a moment that is so baffling that i have to contend with every time i watch it and to brad's point it's so weird but also it's like how does this exist at all? The movie still works despite the fact that this is in the movie. I don't understand. I have a selective lapse of memory. <laughs> Every time I watch that movie and she goes like, can you read my mind? I'm like, can he read her mind? Oh yeah, the poem. I completely <laughs> forgot about the poem. But like, well, You know, she was supposed to, like she was supposed to sing that. Margot Kidder was originally supposed to sing that. <laughs> and I, I think Donner was like, that's one step too many. But then he left the whole thing in there and, Regardless, it's bizarre. It's very it's truly bizarre. But like <laughs> the whole interview sequence is like character wise. So interesting to me because it's really the first time we see Clark using his powers truly to get something for himself. So mm-hmm. like up until that point, he's like, you know, he's like Christ before the uh, wedding at Cana. He's like, I got to keep my miracle in my pants and I'm just gonna (laughs) keep it tight. And then like, and then he has this like big coming out moment and he sees that this excites the girl at the office that he has a crush on. And he's been trying to get through as Clark. Um, and it hasn't been working as much as she enjoys his company. She doesn't see him as a sexual being. And so he sees this in and he's like, okay, I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to give her this exclusive interview. And the interview scene is so flirty, <laughs> like fun and flirty. Yes. And the tables are so turned because before that, like, um, Lois doesn't really even recognize, like, uh, Clark is, like, this fun guy at the office. Oh, isn't he funny? Like, he's nice to have around. He is really attentive. He clearly admires me, and that's flattering. And then we see her kind of disarmed by how powerful and how clever he is. And, she's and how a- big Christopher Reeve's bulge is Yeah, it's a, there's oh one shot in this, in this movie. The low angle. Where we get this low angle, and, like, literally, 
like there's a light that is like a shadow that is cast by his like fortress of solitude. It's just like, so I can't even I, tell you what I scene also, it was. Cause I couldn't see the rest of the scene around it's, it. It's every, every scene. Oh also, I want to point out that I, you know, I've seen this movie countless times mm-hmm. um, and only maybe in the past decade, did because as a kid, of course you're not thinking about this. But real recently, it was like, oh my god, there's a dick joke in this movie. How big are you? How tall are you? I I I was like, oh my god, wait a second, this is amazing. Yeah, uh, yeah. Like in her going like, so all how do you function? Like what is the yeah? All your bodily functions are normal. Um, but, I poop. But then I poop. Like we know. <laughs> he's like this like this midwestern guy and she she does the like you know what you know what color underwear am i am i wearing and you know and he disarms her later by telling her once she's moved out from behind the the lead thing and Mm -hmm. um and it's and she's just so like tickled by the by the whole thing and you you really do like you really do see like like he's flirting and and it's just so sweet and self-serving. What do you It is sweet. I I love I I love so much the emotional vulnerability of her asking him, "Do you like pink?" and the way he responds, like, "I like pink very much, Lois." It's like It's so sweet. Again, that that is to me like that is Superman saving a cat from a tree and that moment I like pink very much, Lois, to me is like what that's the epitome of Superman. Like it, it just feels like this is who he is as a character. And then the the whole flight sequence where the movie just goes on to full fantasy mode where <laughs> yeah. like she has the like core strength of the Pilates <laughs> master where she can balance her entire body on just <laughs> fingertips on his fingertips. That sounds sexual now too, which is weird. Um, <laughs> but we have this extended flight sequence, which I want to watch like I want yes. to imagine that I'm like I'm going like I would I would just have to write him like a surfboard I imagine <laughs> or straddle him like a horse I don't have that that core strength but um you know like it's the I can I can show you the world right yes, it's just like ah, for sure. I want that Aladdin I, totally ripped this off I never want that scene to end except for when the poetry happens then I'm I'm hiding my <laughs> then head it's like, then you then it breaks the spell you're like oh, oh wait no. a second this has been going on for. 20, 30 minutes. Yeah. What do you make of Clark's knock on the door? And now he's like, Oh, I'm here for the date that I planned, you know, like the, and, and yeah. so that scene happens and she goes to the bathroom. She has to like dry herself off. Yeah. He's like, what uh, color panties are you wearing now? Yeah. Wet. Like, <laughs> wet panties. Like, she goes to the bathroom and he takes his glasses off again and he stands Superman straight. And he's like, right. Lois. And, like there's a moment where he's like, okay, this is it. I'm going to now like tell her. And then he shrinks away. Like, what do you make of that scene? I think it's the, the him wanting so badly to be with her, willing to throw everything away. And then the responsibility of being Superman mm-hmm. coming like the whole do not interfere. And there's a, I, I don't, I like the director's cut of this film. I don't know if you call it the special edition where there are new scenes added. Yeah. There is a scene where Jor-El explains to Superman in the Fortress of Solitude, like, you must maintain your secret identity. The people you love could be hurt if anyone finds out who you really are. So there's a sense of 
in the theatrical cut of this film, that's kind of missing. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Like that sense of like, he has an obligation to not tell her. But I think to me reading into it, that's what it feels like. It's like, no, I have to, I can't. So like, I just can't. And as much as I want to, I can't, but also in terms of performance, I mean, yeah. people make fun of, and it's because it's ridiculous, but like the whole glass, like, oh, you you wear glasses and you change your hairstyle and the woman's not going to notice that you are <laughs> Clark Kent or that's, you know, but like in that moment, as far as believability goes, you 100% buy into like, oh, it's no wonder she's not thinking about Clark Kent as Superman you see it in the performance. So as a performance piece, as a believability as to why somebody would not see through the disguise, I love it as that moment. But as thematically, character-wise, I see it as Superman wanting so badly something for himself and just like it having that inner realization of like, I, I, I just can't. I have to protect her and I have to... Uh, I have to be Superman, basically, and that means I can't be with her. I think he also desperately wants to be recognized. Mm. Like, he he thinks maybe if she sees the two men back-to-back, like, he'll, she'll truly see me. But, like— Like, if she yeah. finds out, like, yeah. if she figures it out, then the pressure's off of him. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yes. I think so. I think so. But, but like— I see that. And I, I think to your point, Lisa, it's a really interesting, like, psychologically— mm-hmm. uh, Again, I don't think this is something <laughs> anybody was thinking about. But it is interesting to think of it as, like, huh, how— how weird that he planned this so that he could then kind of spy on Lois and see like, Oh, what did she really think? Like, did she enjoy, I mean, obviously he knows she enjoyed the date, but by being Clark, he can get a firsthand account of what her emotional state is after their little flight together. I like, I don't know. I like human being like context when it comes to another person is so powerful. Like you see, you see a man in the context of an office and he's bumbling around and, and then you see him in the context of he is a God and he is flying. Like, like, I think that that's how we all like, yeah, we joke about it, but we all believe that when he puts his glasses on and he goes back into his ordinary life, he's invisible. Cause we've all, Mm felt invisible mm. in, in yeah. plain sight. So yeah. I think it's, it's, I think it's more relatable than people. It's another, it's another vulnerable for me. It's another vulnerable moment. Mm-hmm. Uh, if I'm, if I'm going to find fault with Superman, it's that Superman does not come across as super vulnerable mm-hmm. in this movie. He is essentially like perfect and wonderful and does the right thing practically all the time. It's a, it's another great vulnerable moment of, of yeah. like, here's what Superman wants and he can't have it. Yeah. And he can, he can have anything he wants, but not really. I don't think, I don't think Superman is any more real than Clark Kent. I don't think that, I don't, yeah. I don't think that, um, he, Aside from being at home with his parents, he doesn't truly get to be himself until Lois Lane knows who he is. Yeah. And then he can right. be a whole person again. Yeah. And, and like, I love the moments in the future films where you do get to see Clark or Cal L in his apartment alone, like the few moments mm-hmm. you see that happen. And you're like, well, that's, that's the real being right because yes. when he's superman he is playing superman and when he's clark kent he is playing clark kent there are very few sequences in which he's not um 
you know, not pretending. And that's why yeah. in that interview sequence, when he tells Lois, like, I never lie, I'm like, you're lying yeah. all, all the time. Apparently, apparently that was a soul kind note. Like, oh, he has to say that because he always lies. And it's, oh, it's so complex. And it's like, what? Well, Sorry. So what was, I love that. I love that line being there. I do wish it explored this a battle of personalities a little bit more yeah. in this film. Uh, I think it but, was, I think Mankiewicz admitted it was only put there because they needed the test mocker moment later yeah. on where she's like, you'll save my mom first. And I believe you. Cause you always tell the truth. Right. Like I, that, that it was basically for that payoff later yeah. on. I think he was also being an ideal. Like, mm. you know, the, yeah, uh, yeah he might Truth, justice, the American yeah, way. He might lie. Like, Whoever he is, Kal-El might lie, but Superman doesn't lie. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Okay. Uh, I, good point. I think we're now at the climax of Superman the movie, uh, where uh, Jimmy Olsen and Lois Lane are reporting on this massive land sale, and the rockets go off. Superman has been imprisoned in Lex Luthor's sewer dungeon with the kryptonite necklace. Can I can I tell you a funny story Please about the kryptonite do. necklace? Please do. I one of my earliest memories of Superman is watching uh, watching on TV. I may be three or four years old, and there's a commercial for the TV airing of Superman the movie, and they included a clip where you know they're like superman watch it you know wednesday night at seven and they include the shot of lex pushing superman into the pool <laughs> and i as a kid knowing superman is all powerful and can fly i'm like i asked my dad i'm like why did superman fall into a swimming pool now i just had my my son as you both know as the internet may not know i had my first son and, um thank you so much and <laughs> i cannot fathom a world in which I would answer this question the same way my dad answered this question to me. Um, but when I asked my dad, if my son were to ask me, I would be like, well, crypt, you know, he had kryptonite around his neck. You know, let's just watch the movie, son. Let's just watch the movie and we'll, I'll show you. Um, it's kryptonite. It's his weakness. My dad, I guess, didn't have the time to explain the nuances of Superman's weaknesses. He just goes, oh, he had a stomach ache. <laughs> And and that confused me for years. <laughs> Superman's invincible, but he can get stomach aches and fall into a swimming pool. Maybe I should wait thirty minutes before uh, I go back into the pool after eating. Just a random. I just want to point that out. I, I still to this day don't know why my dad couldn't have just said it was kryptonite and kryptonite uh, is his weakness and he had a necklace. Sean, on. I need a follow up. No, it's a stomach up. ache. I need you to do a follow up with your dad. <laughs> <laughs> I need. Let's get him on the show. I need. He probably does not remember. I just love this all. idea he's, where he's just like whatever. Yeah. He had a stomachache. Shut up, Sean. We're watching. That's basically, watching I think, TV. what it was. It's like, yeah, it's a oh, stomachache. Just let, that will answer the. It opened up so many more questions, like as a result. So, a mission not successful. <laughs> it's a crazy climax to a movie, though, where he does have to choose which rocket, you know, to stop, yes. and he knows that Lois. Is is by the dam, which is is that Lois Hooper and dam? Jimmy? Yeah, Lois and Jimmy. Like he cares about Jimmy. Uh, <laughs> he does. He says he's drowning in the pool, and he says, "Look, I got to save Lois and Jimmy." So he cares. <laughs> or he has to go to Hackensack, New Jersey, and save Mrs. Tech, <laughs> Miss Tessmacher's mother. Uh, and he promised her she rescued him. So that's what he does. And the rocket lands uh, by the Hoover Dam. And Lois dies. 
Yes. And I really wish I had been in the theater in 1978 to watch this sequence because it is incredibly shocking and bizarre. It's it's also horrifying yes. to watch. Like, you know, as, as a kid, there, there are movies that were intended for like a family audience like Superman, like Star Wars, that have these moments of genuine, like, horror or something like that terrible happening. And for me, even today watching Lois suffocate as she's buried alive yeah. is pretty awful. Like it, it's harrowing. And of course, like you said, Brad, the audience is like, Oh, Superman's going to save her. Nope. She dies. It's terrible. And like the movie halts for a good, like there are several beats before Superman flies off screaming. And in those yes. beats, you're like, it's, it had to have been like, what, 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 <laughs> and when Superman flies off screaming, it's the one shot in the movie where Superman looks rageful. Where he looks like Man of Steel, Henry Cavill he, Superman. Yeah, yeah, yes. Uh, and it's a very scary, like, three seconds or two seconds. It's it's a really horrifying couple of frames. And then he flies up and has, like, like Jor-El has... A Mufasa conversation. Yeah, Mufasa, yeah. He has a Mufasa conversation <laughs> with Jor-El. You know, you're not here to interfere. And I, like, I imagine like when Jor-El sent his baby off uh, to Earth, he implanted like a sleeper DNA capsule that would explode. <laughs> like or, uh, like um, uh, what's in Robocop when Robocop can't kill people at the OCP? Oh, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> like directive. I can't remember what the directive is. But anyway... Uh, and Superman gets like this this signal from Jor-El, like you, what you're about to do, you can't do, my friend. And then Superman does it anyway. So, you know, my question to the two of you is, you know, how do you reconcile with him disobeying that prime directive that Jor-El has implanted with him? How do you feel about that whole scene? Lisa, you go oh, ahead. Oh, damn it. Um, <laughs> I can go if you want me to, and, and, and I, I am happy to. But um, I, I, I give you think a that, um, I think it's just one of those scenes where it's just like, okay, the movie opened with him getting two messages from two fathers. And one father saying, um, you are meant to do something greater. Another... Uh, father saying like never forget your special and extraordinary heritage and he was getting this message like where you really do have to deny yourself you have to deny yourself um uh you know uh getting close to people you have to deny you know joy and pleasure because you are so extraordinary and so special and i think that th that this is the moment where he goes like okay dad's my two dads, um, I have to be my own man. I am my own person. And I, I think that that's why they bring that paternal figure back um, to for him to really step out and do something that is an expression of his own beliefs and not just the beliefs of his father's. That That's what I think that moment is supposed to entail. And you, Sean? I... I think everything Lisa said. No, I uh, I think that is a great interpretation. It's a great fulfillment of a, a character arc that I think you could feasibly argue like Superman doesn't have a character arc except when you start to point out that, like that ending. Like, oh, there is actually kind of an arc here. There is a story here that's being told and a change in the character. To me, it's the argument I throw at people. Superman is willing to compromise his 
moral values for the woman he loves. Mm -hmm. So Superman, who is perfect, who never lies, who always does the right thing, does something significantly wrong. He alters human history. He goes back in time. He violates nature, like, because he is so in love with Lois Lane. I, I, there's a lot of stuff going on in this moment because it is 100% a deus ex machina. It is a, like, people have always like, oh, don't you hate that he turns back time? And, um, you know, unfortunately, Superman 2 also has, uh, uh, he has a memory wiping kiss that comes out of nowhere. So it's like, unfortunately, the only good Christopher Reeve Superman movies, both endings are like, oh, Superman just fixes everything. He turns back time. He erases memories. It's all fine. Like, so I get that. I understand it, it is frustrating as like Superman can turn back time. So what stops him from doing it again? What stops him from doing it is like, this is the one thing he can't abide. He can't stand that he let Lois die. And it's a, it is a fatal flaw of his character. It suddenly turns him from being perfect into like, he is human. He is in love. He is going to break a huge rule. It is a big no, no because he loves Lois so much. So I am willing to forgive the deus ex machina element of it because as an ending to a romantic, like it's, it's the ending of that relationship. Superman, like you said, Lisa, he essentially says, okay, thanks dads. I've got to do my own thing. And his own thing is his love for Lois. So as an ending to that romance, to that love story, I think it's a great conclusion. He violates everything that his fathers have told him to do for the woman he loves. He's made his own decision. He never does it again because we can't have Superman traveling back in time all the time. <laughs> but I, I think it, it works despite the fact that it is kind of a, a cop out in a way. And I, I kind of love, I kind of love the, the visual of him spinning around the world and mm. Christopher Reeve is so into it. The tears and his, like it, it works for me emotionally and I, and I like it as uh, an ending to that romance. Mm. Yeah. I, you know, when I was a kid, I never really thought about it. That's just how the movie ended. And that's just, you know, that's a fact. And then when like I was in high school, I was like, Oh, that's a little cheesy, but where I am now, you know, for the reason you said, Sean, that's why I like that sequence. I hadn't even considered that, Lisa, your point of view of like, yeah, Lisa, that's really dads. awesome. I'm yeah. now making that part of my head canon. Okay, I, sure. You I have that. that. <laughs> that's for free. <laughs> me too. Same. I'm still I, in that. Yeah. So that, that makes me like the scene even more. Um, and, you know, like the scene that really sells that moment, the turn back time moment, is when he lands by the car after going back in time. And we have this mm. very quiet moment. There's no score. And, you know, Lois wakes, you know, Lois is trying to like, you know, uh, get her car working. And then there's Superman. She's like, what the hell is going on? Uh, you know, Clark, or Superman, what, what's going on? Where were you? Clark. Where were you? And like, he, if you look at Christopher Reeve's performance, He's so happy, but it's such a muted happiness that he can't reveal to her what he has just done for her. <laughs> you yeah. know, like he has done gone full Lazarus. Mm -hmm. Yes. And it's like, I love I, that scene. I agree. I think that's, that's, it's easy to knock that ending because it's like, this is the problem with Superman. He can do literally anything, but in the context of the film, looking at the themes of the film, looking at the ro romantic relationships, the relationship between Clark and Lois, Superman and Lois. I think it 
it works and it's a cool special effect. And it is, it's shocking that it works at all considering that that was originally supposed to be the ending of Superman two. Right. Superman one was supposed to be a cliffhanger cause they filled them back to back. But then because production was going over budget and the producers wanted to fire Donner, they just rushed the ending of this movie. They, they put that ending at the, at, to make this like, Oh, we need a big moment. Let's just do the special effect where he flies around the earth and turns back time that it works at all is kind of amazing, amazing yeah. to me. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'd love to go to the alternate reality where we got to see the proper Richard Donner back to back. I know. Superman. I kind of like, I, I actually, I'm glad that Superman is a movie that exists on its own mm. terms. I kind of prefer the version where it's its own movie and it doesn't have a cliffhanger ending that almost as, as, as perfect as it is as a comic book movie, it's something that would work. It feels a little schlocky to me. And the ending that we have here of him turning back time and then the goofy, like the country is safe again, Superman. Thanks to you. <laughs> I like that. It feels conclusive <laughs> and that it feels like you could never watch another Superman movie and you would be satisfied yeah, with you, what we have. You here. probably shouldn't like if you, if you have not <laughs> seen any other Superman movies, listeners, if you've only seen Superman, the movie, just stop. You're good. You're pretty good. You got it. Yeah. You got it. You got it. I think that the argument against people going like, Superman can't be interesting because he could do literally anything. The answer to that is, but he doesn't. And isn't that fascinating on its own? It is. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, uh, yeah. That's a, I love that as a response. I'm also stealing that, Lisa. You're welcome. Thank you. <laughs> uh, what have we not talked about regarding Superman the movie that we should before we get out of here? Oh, man. There's so, I mean, I love, I, I think in addition to Donner's direction and his decision to pay tr- like sincere tribute to this iconic character, I think. You look at the movie itself, how grand it is, how epic it is. It is so much grander in scope. Again, I know, Brad, you just told everybody not to watch sequels. But (laughs) if you want to understand just how good this movie is, watch Superman 2. Super and I like Superman too, but it is not this movie. I like it too. Um, And then watch the other. I think watching Superman 3 will put everything into context as to how important Donner was to this movie and how important it was to treat this character sincerely. But I think something we haven't touched on as far as Superman goes and what this movie means to the history of Superman, we kind of talked about it a little bit in the beginning, but Superman makes superheroes and comic books in general, mainstream and legitimate. Like at the times, comic books were kind of like, ah, we don't care. Superheroes were goofy and they were kind of kids stuff. Superman the movie legitimizes Superman as a, a legendary icon of, of America, like an American character. Like it's just like it is a big, huge thing. It's part of our culture. It's not just a kid's thing. It means something. This movie, I think, is the turning point for superheroes as they're perceived in pop culture. Like I... I I think beyond being just the the third part of a trifecta of blockbuster cinema that is crucial to the history of cinema, I think Richard Donner legitimizes everything about superheroes with this movie. And I think comic books have him to thank for a lot of this. I think superhero cinema, the Marvel Cinematic Universe, and Kevin Feige is the first to admit how important this movie is. Um, I, I think 
Superman in the context of comic books and superheroes in general is crucial. Like without Superman, I think we don't see the respect and love of not just superhero cinema, but comic books in general that this movie sparked. So I think it is so it, people, I mean, this movie is beloved. It People like it, but I, I think sometimes it's historical context gets lost because you just are looking at like, oh, well, it's so great. Of course it's great. It's Superman. But like without this movie, what, it, what, what's the history of comic books? Like what, what does that become? So I actually think there are three movies that forever alter comic books. Uh, and it's 1977's Star Wars. It's 1978's Superman, the movie, and it's 1979's alien. They take mm. three very B-movie subjects, what were previously seen as, you know, low-budget, kitty fair, and treats all three of those very different genres um, e- extremely sincerely. And I think you can draw a line from those three movies to Alan Moore and Dave Gibbons' Watchmen Frank Miller's Dark Knight Returns. And and once the 80s hits, coming off of 77, 78, and 79, we are now making adult entertainment, quote unquote, with comic books. But I do think that Superman does encapsulate the identity crisis of the genre film. And I think it's typified by its internal inconsistencies. Things like, Mm. okay, um... He has to look for a place to change into his costume in one scene, but in another scene, his <laughs> you know he just goes out the window yeah. in a full suit, and then it yeah. turns yeah. into yeah. where yeah. like you do see that like thing of like we want to make this an a like not an adult film though I would love to watch that. Um, like, <laughs> you can't. How big are you? We, How big are you, Superman? <laughs> well, like where it it is like grown up fair, and it is. Earnest, and I think that there are true and valuable lessons in it, but also, like, you know, like, do we really have to put, like, do we really have to put them in a phone booth? Like, you know, like, let's just, <laughs> mm. let's just shortcut this thing. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, do we really have to make kryptonite make sense? I don't know. Like, so I think that where, like, Alien is like, it's a scary, palm sweaty. Yeah. genre film like yeah superman 1978 is like what's our tone i don't remember like <laughs> well it's basically but like think of it this way it is like there is no precedent for this mm-hmm. except for batman 1966 like it is like what is a superhero movie what should its tone be so in some ways like it's like is it a little too campy is it a little bit too, it's like i get that a lot but at the same time i'm like this kind this they literally are paving the way for every superhero movie to follow. Like this establishes like, all right, you have to have the origin where we explain who Mm. he is. We show him discovering his powers. We do this. We do, we have the big heroic moment where he reveals like, it's like, I, I, I know Sam Raimi, Nolan, like everybody is talking about like, oh yeah, it's Donner Superman. Yeah. Like I, Batman Begins is Donner Superman. Uh, Spider-Man, Raimi Spider-Man is Donner Superman. X-Men, it's Donner Superman. Superman Returns is literally Donner right. Superman. So it's just like, so I'm not like, I not to, to discredit your point, Lisa, I think you bring up a great point, but I also think like, 
Alien, it's very easy to be like, oh, it's a haunted house in outer space. Whereas Superman, it's like, it's a disaster movie, but it's it's Americana, but it's sci-fi, but it's romance, but it's... And that's kind of what superhero movies are now. They're like going and exploring all these different subgenres, and Superman just packed everything into one movie. So it's a comedy, but also it's an action movie, but also it's this and that. Because they didn't know what it could be. So they were like, let's just make it literally everything. I'm not, I I didn't say that as like, I'm pointing at flaws or anything. Like what I think makes it fascinating is that it, it it perfectly encapsulate, encapsulates a culture in flux. Mm. So for me, like if you watch Superman, the movie, you are watching the entire spectrum of tone that has existed within superhero comics and Superman yes. comics. Mm-hmm. You have the ultra serious moments. You have the way goofy stuff. They all exist in one runtime. And so like to me that, 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 that comes with pluses and minuses, but you can't deny it. And like, so if you really do yes. want to know, like, well, what is Superman? I've never read anything. I've never seen anything. You just watch Superman the movie. This is everything Superman can, should, and should not be. It's a total proof of concept. Yeah, proof of concept, yeah. Yeah, Absolutely. Uh, All right. So Superman the movie, thumbs up, guys. (laughs) (laughs) Thumbs up all the way. Uh, The way we would do this on the Missing Frames podcast, Sean, as you may be aware, is uh, like how many – how many Otisbergs <laughs> would you give Superman the movie? Out of how many? Out of, out of five Otisbergs, how many would you give? I, I, I also, I would, I, I'm fine with Otisbergs. I also want to point out, um, <laughs> I realized I, I've always associated the name Brad with like, oh, oh what no. a douche. And yeah. I realized it's this movie, it's this movie's fault. When like, uh, Kent, Kent can't make it, Lana. He's got a lot of work to do. Oh, Brad. I'm like, oh my God. I just realized. So I, I would give, I, I have to give this movie five Otisbergs, five Brads, like all of the above. And I also want to thank Brad for proving to me that Brad, not all Brads <laughs> are complete dicks who will knock over all the hard work you did stacking all the helmets and football gear. Um, but for me, I, I can look at this movie, um, objectively i can recognize flaws i can see areas where i would prefer certain things but i i also see it as kind of a masterpiece i think it's so it's so charming and sweet and fun and exciting and uh i I, the even the flaws even the gene hackman stuff even the can you read my mind sequence it all just is it is as you said, Brad, it's weird. Lisa, as you said, it's just like an encapsulation of everything. I love all of it. And Lisa, how many O'Brads or Otisbergs would you give it? <laughs> I would give this uh, probably three and a half, three and a half uh, O'Brads. <laughs> and, and, and like, and that is with consideration of the scenes that I love, those moments that I love. I love them so much and I love them with my whole heart. But there are also scenes where I'm just like, I I want to cover my eyes and ears mm. with because of how <laughs> tremendously awkward it can be. Mm. Uh, like, and I know I also go it like this wasn't one of my big childhood movies. I don't go into this film with a tremendous amount of nostalgia. Um, but I do love late seventies. I love the fashion. Yeah. 
I love mm-hmm. the sensibility, you know? So, so I, there is so much I love about this movie, but then like, to me, I do find, um, the Gene Hackman scenes, the, the bumbling villains a little bit cringy. I do find the little poetry moment completely shocking every time. <laughs> <laughs> Um, and, and, and I love, and I love the cheese factor in some scenes and and I'm less a, a fan of it in others, but at mm. 3.5, it's very point, solid. No, that's a, that's 3.5 is, is you enjoyed the movie. It's a good it's movie. It's a good movie. Yeah. I, I, and I'm between you two. I go four Otisbergs, four O'Brads. Uh, I, I like <laughs> to me right up until the flight, like the, the flight itself, like even prior to, uh, the poetry, I, I don't like, I don't love it as much as I think you two do. Uh, I like the idea of it. I just don't like the execution of it so much. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, but up to that moment, up until the flight, like through the interview, I think the movie is a masterpiece. Mm-hmm. And then it just sort of loses steam for me. I don't hate everything that comes after it. It's just, it's just not as good in my opinion, as the rest of the movie. Um, right. So that's where I go. Four stars. I love it. Uh, I think it is a movie that I will never stop watching. It's a film that, you know, we return to year after year after year. And post the passing of Richard Donner, watching these Richard Donner movies, we watched Conspiracy Theory the other day, like we said, The Omen. Uh, we're going to do the Lethal Weapon films. I, I think Richard Donner <laughs> is a director that should be held up there with Lucas, with Spielberg as genre defining, culturally defining, you know, we haven't even mentioned the Goonies. We, you know, (laughs) he said the X-Men, but we got to remember that he and his wife produced that X-Men film in the year 2000. Kevin Feige was his assistant. Jeff Johns was his assistant. Uh, He produced the Tales from the Crypt series. Like, like, his impact on the industry and on the culture is insane and in many, many different ways. So Richard yeah. Donner is a Titan. And Swirling be, in the heavens. I think yeah. I, he's, he's the best. And I, again, I, I, I give him the reason we love Superman today is because he got that script and he said, we're not going to do a parody. We are going to honor this character. Like I just, it, Donner, like you said, Brad, I think I think Donner's vision is so clear just from the mere fact that he was willing to put his foot down and say it's not a parody. We're treating him right and we're gonna respect this. And that's I again, I think that's why comic books, that's why superheroes in general have the reputation they do today, because Donner was willing to see the brilliance of see what was special about the character and, and the material in general. And Richard Donner was a good dude. Listen to that interview with missing frames and Sean, he is such a nice guy. Well, the, 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 he's, he was so kind and there's so much I wish I could have put in, but like we just, the banter we had, like in the conversations we had outside of the interview, he was so sweet. I had all these action figures up, behind me and he was like what's that one what's that one and one of them was spider-man i was like is this sacrilegious that i have a spider-man figure up i had to resist the urge to put all my superman merchandise (laughs) out there but uh one one story uh, like i'd never heard this before but um 
Siegel and Schuster at the time the movie was was being prepped and prepared and he Donner had been brought on board, they had kind of faded into yeah. obscurity because unfortunately that's how it worked. Like you got screwed over, you got terrible deals, and they were not reaping the rewards of this incredible creation. Uh, they like I think one of them was going blind yep. working in a post office at the time. And Donner was the man, he went to the head of Warner Brothers and he essentially said I will do everything in my power to stop this film from being made unless you see to it that those two guys are taken care of. And they were taken care of. That was Richard Donner stepping in to make sure Siegel and Schuster got their due. That, to me, again, we talk about all the moments that epitomize Superman as a character in this film. That moment, to me, epitomizes, I think, who Richard Donner was as a person. And it, it's, I again, I was amazed to hear that story. I'd never heard that before. And what w- just what an incredible human being yeah uh, absolutely uh so listeners go listen to uh sean's conversation with richard donner which was what just like two years ago just two years it was the 40th anniversary of again like i i am amazed it happened at all what what a what a genuine honor it was the 40th anniversary of superman so sean uh if they they can click on the link they can listen to your interview but if they want to track you down elsewhere online send you some words of affirmation perhaps Please, please, I would love that. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Dorman. Of course, you can check out Missing Frames wherever you listen to podcasts. You can also find me on Letterboxd, just Sean Dorman, if you want to be enraged by by some of my opinions. Um, yeah, go for it. Wait, I mean, we're getting ahead of ourselves. We can't start our outro right now because our listeners need to know what's coming up in the very near future. Oh, man, we have like... And, uh, we have another surprise to land on this feed next week. We actually had an opportunity to chat with comic book. Uh, I'm just going to go and call call him a legend now. Comic book legend <gasps> Daniel Warren Johnson about his oh, Data Ray Bill series, and we actually had that interview last night. And I gotta say. It's kind of incredible. <laughs> uh, he is so extraordinarily generous and vulnerable. And uh, he was really w- willing to go there w- talking about Beta Ray Bill and and his uh, psychology and circumstances. It's really special. Yeah, it's a little different than uh, Creator Corner conversations that we've had in the past. This one really does focus on the character of Bill. If you want to know like the more technical stuff as of how Daniel Warren Johnson creates these incredible comics, I would encourage listeners to go check out his Beta Ray Bill commentaries over on his YouTube page. But this conversation is really Lisa, Daniel, and Brad talking about what is going on inside Beta Ray Bill's heart and brain and the struggle of being this failed creature who no longer has Stormbreaker to rely on. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's a really special conversation. And like, it's a highlight for me uh, with comic book couples counseling. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, of course, we are still bringing you the Loki and Loki episode. Episode 69, dude. Episode 69, dude. Oh, And that is going to cover Journey into Mystery, Everything Burns, the crossover arc with the Mighty Thor, uh, a a really interesting uh, and um, complicated relationship exploration there with Loki and who he wants to be and who he was and who he may still end up turning out to be. There is actually a lot of overlapping themage with the Loki MCU show and this run of the Loki comic. Yeah, so 
very excited to bring that episode to you guys as well. Uh, and that's what we've got on the horizon. Um, so once again, yes, thank you, Sean, for joining us. Thank you both so much. Just, it's always wonderful to talk to you in general. So oh. this has been an absolute treat getting to talk about Superman and hanging out with Lisa and Brad. Wonderful. Yeah. It's too good to be true. It's too good. No, to be true. it's happening right now. It's history. It's happening, <laughs> Superman. And congratulations, Sean. We didn't say this in the beginning, but I mean, you are literally a new dad. <laughs> so, but thank but you. Like, thank you. Uh, like Jorel, you're making a a a a rad backlog of podcasts for your little son to learn all about cinema. And it's beautiful. That's it's a right. Beautiful when thing. when Earth explodes and I send him off in a rocket ship, I'll just send him with all the episodes of Missing Frames, and he'll understand everything about. Life. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. So, so Brad. Yes. Where can our listeners send their words of affirmation to you, my love? Uh, you can find me on all social medias at MouthDork. If you have words of affirmation for our logo, you can send them to Aaron Prescott at a cool hand fluke. And if you have some words of affirmation for our radical banner art, send them over to at Karen underscore X-Men fan. Lisa, where can our listeners send their words of affirmation to you? I am always accepting words of affirmation at Sidewalk Siren on Instagram and Twitter. If you'd like to spend more quality time with us, you can subscribe to us on Podbean, Spotify, Stitcher, YouTube, Google, and Apple Podcasts. If you'd like to get exclusive, you can join our Patreon, where you'll get more content, including weekly bonus episodes. If you'd like to reach out and touch us electronically, you can email the podcast, cbccpodcast at gmail.com. You can visit our website, comicbookcouplescounseling.com. Don't forget to put the three W's before it. Or follow <laughs> us on Instagram and Twitter at CBCC Podcast. You can give us the gift of five stars on Apple Podcasts. And if you'd like to do an active service, why not write a review of the show while you're there? We are fluent and receptive in all five love languages. It really warms our hearts and helps the pod. So until next time, lovebirds, keep your love tank full. And your psychic rapport open. She wanted Great. to make sure that the Superman saw some skin. <laughs> That's right. Well, he, he didn't need to see have the dress to see some skin. I mean, he's she seen everything. He's yeah. seen everything. She opened the door. She said, what color underwear am I wearing? <laughs> yeah. He was modest until she, he was willing to play that yeah, game. He, he did not miss a beat. He knew all that before she ever asked. <laughs> <laughs> no, you know what else is great about Superman, though? And it's unfortunate that this is all getting cut out. I believe that he didn't. That he did not. That's why I love Superman. Guy. That he was that he was not sneaking peeks at Lois Lane. I believe he respects her and people enough not to. Now, when he was a teenager, and he, I think Smallville actually has some little <laughs> fun little gags about this. Even though I'm not a big Smallville fan, but like I think if he was a teenager and found that power, I think it was uh, it's a different story. But Poor I think Lana. Superman as the adult, yes, well, as the adult <laughs> he is, and the the mature, thoughtful, considerate human being he is, I. I believe that he would have respected any anybody enough not to take advantage of that ridiculous power. What I'm curious about is like the middle stage where like they're not married, but they're in like an established relationship. And maybe there's mm -hmm. a time when, you know, and they're sexually active together because they're two adults. And like, you know, right. I'm sure there was a time when she was being like, particularly bitchy and then he just checked he's like is there a tampon in there <laughs> fully fully and, and totally, then he'd go totally. like and, he would, and he'd be like oh okay and she'd be like did you look did you look can't I have some Miss 
history, you know? <laughs> 